I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 10. We'll look uh, in depth this morning at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the message that we get from Jesus and his teaching here is for us to go and do likewise. So here this morning, we'll give a brief summary of the Good Samaritan case. Perhaps you've never heard the story at all. And then we'll look more in depth, verse by verse, uh, in detail at this passage. And then make some applications for us today. <clears throat> so in case you've never heard the story, uh, a man asks Jesus about inheriting eternal life. And this man is not asking Jesus with pure motives, but rather to test Jesus and to justify himself. And when, when Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers, as he often does, with a story. It's a story about a man who gets mugged and left for dead. And surprisingly in this story, two of this injured man's own countrymen ignore this man. But of all people, a despised foreigner stops and graciously and selflessly helps this victim at great personal cost. And then with the story over, Jesus is done telling that story. Uh, he then turns that question back to the questioner. Which of these three men in the story showed themselves to be a neighbor to the victim? And of course, the answer is the one who helped the man in need. And then Jesus gives that command, go and do likewise. Well, let's take a, a deeper look at this, at this passage and see what uh, Jesus is teaching us here with the Good Samaritan. It starts with that law expert challenging Jesus. In verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer wasn't an attorney or a prosecutor like we would think about today in a court of law. He was an expert in the law of Moses. He's, he's that kind of expert. He's a Bible expert. He's a, you might say a scribe or a teacher. Uh, law expert would be a, a good way to describe this person. And the question that he asks here, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a popular philosophical question among the Jews and Jewish scholars, something that they were debating. Uh, and the text says here that he put him to the test. This lawyer is putting Jesus to the test, implying that he was either trying to see how smart Jesus was uh, in that line of philosophical thinking, uh, or he was trying to trap Jesus in his answers, or, or perhaps both. Uh, but Jesus redirects this question 
uh, rather than just giving some off-the-cuff answers. You know, let's take it back to the Word of God. Uh, verse 26, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? You know, the law of Moses. What is written in the Bible? How do you read it? How do you understand it? <clears throat> the question about e inheriting eternal life was not a new question. This God had already addressed these things and outlined in the law of Moses about how we are to conduct ourselves and to please God. What does the Bible say? Verse 27, and he answered, this, the lawyer is answering now, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law expert knows the Bible well, well enough anyway, to provide a good answer. And we recently, uh, Darren, in one of his lessons, talked about the Ten Commandments, a series of lessons, as I recall. And you might remember uh, the first part of the Ten Commandments uh, address uh, how we ought to conduct ourselves to loving God and honoring God. And then the, the second part of those set of Ten Commandments address how we ought to honor one another and treat one another well, loving our neighbor. So this Bible expert was on the right track to, to give this sort of answer with honoring God and honoring your neighbor. And he's, he's citing here from uh, Deuteronomy, uh, chapters, chapter six, verses four through five. And um, in, among the Jews, this is known as the Shema, where, where they would speak this twice a day. They would recite, this is the first part of what they would say every day uh, from Deuteronomy six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then the part about the neighbor is taken from Leviticus 19, 18, where it says there, uh, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge upon the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And, you know, talking about your own people there in Leviticus is perhaps part of the, the question, is this just only our own people or is this more people? That might be the source of the debate there. In verse 28 of our text, Jesus responds to this lawyer and his quoting of scripture. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and live. Honor God and love your neighbor. You're on the right track. Jesus commends this lawyer for answering well. But it's one thing to know what the Bible says, and it's quite another to do what it says. Jesus isn't so interested in that we know the right facts and can answer questions, but he wants us to have our lives transformed by keeping his commandments, loving God and loving man. Verse 29, again, the lawyer, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this law expert it seems that perhaps he's getting his, his toes stepped on with Jesus and the way he re had responded there. You know, maybe because he told him to do this, maybe implies he wasn't doing it. Uh, or maybe he got the vibe that since he got the first question right, hey, we're, we're on the same page. Jesus is on my team. And, and hey, Jesus, we have this debate about who our neighbor is. Uh, is it just the Jews, our fellow Jews, or is it everybody? Who are we to love? Surely it doesn't mean those savage Romans who have taken over our country and are occupying our land and desecrating our temple. Uh, and surely not those awful Samaritans, our neighbors who are, uh, we consider awful people. 
you know, Jesus, you're a Jew, and I bet we agree on this. Well, of course, let's see. Jesus goes on to tell a story here um, in verse 30. He begins, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So, of course, Jesus is good at answering a question with a question or, or with a story, as he does here. What's the deal with this, with this road? You know, we, we think of roads, US 42 runs through here, and Interstate 71, major roads, that's kind of what we tend to think of. But this is, of course, a desolate place back at that time, and there's even portions of it today like uh, that you can see here. Um, this road would have been 18 miles to traverse, and it would have traveled down in elevation, 3,300 feet. It's very curvy and hilly, isolated in places and treacherous. And it's no notorious at this time for robbers to attack. I know in one of our Bible classes, Bruce and Brenda had, had gone to Israel and taken up some other photos and, and showing around some corners and there's stones and you could just imagine how people could be hiding behind those things. But this business of going down, as it says, is it's not just about north and south, uh, like we think on our maps. You're going up to Cleveland, you're going down to Cincinnati or something like that. <clears throat> Jerusalem was the capital city and the location of the temple understood to be the, the dwelling place of God himself. And so it's a high place from that sense. So going anywhere from Jerusalem was going down. And indeed, Jericho, as we said, it was at a lower elevation. So the travelers from Jerusalem to Jericho would indeed be going, going down as they travel on their journey. We see here in verse 31, so this guy's hurt. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, now of course, the readers that are hearing Jesus say this story, they're thinking, well, a priest, great, well, this guy's hurt. And there's a, a, good, a good guy, good guy to the story, right? This, this poor man beat up, he needs help. And who better than those that are closest to God to help him out? But of course, this priest didn't help him out. He passed by on the other side. Oh no, this, this guy's not getting help. It's not good for the man who's been beat up. But of course, we often will point out that the priests need to be ceremonially clean and holy and able to serve in the temple. And so, you know, touching a dead body and this, the guy was left for dead, maybe he thought he was dead, kind of give the priest a pass, perhaps. Um, but as I did a little research on this, I think we're maybe a little too kind to the priest to say that, you know, any individual priest would only serve in the temple as a priest for uh, one week at a time. And then that only twice per year. And so um, he was apparently done with his service. He's leaving Jerusalem and going back home to Jericho. About half of the priests were, were said to live, have their you know, permanent homes in Jericho. So they would go when they had their appointment for that week and maybe earlier to get the ceremonial cleansing and all that. But then when they're going back down out of there, they're no longer serving in the temple. And so he uh, wouldn't really have an excuse to not help this, this fellow. This priest was going down that road and um, 
he, he really didn't have an excuse as I, I've, I've sometimes heard. Um, so he, he was, uh, I would suggest that he was being more holier than thou. You know, he, he had this high position and uh, looked, looked up to by the people and, and did indeed need to be holy during those times, but he just kind of missed the boat. He, he didn't do what he ought to do here. You know, Hosea 6.6 talks about, uh, for I, I desire steadfast love or loyalty or love, loving kindness, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This guy had his, his priorities out of whack. We need to certainly keep our priorities in order as well. But as the story continues, now we have a Levite. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. So this guy's not a priest, doesn't have all those constraints that perhaps the priest had in his mind and was confused about. Um, of course, the priests were descended uh, from Aaron and the tribe of Levi. They were, they were priests were Levites too, but, but only the, those in the family of Aaron would be the priests. And then other Levites would have other duties in the temple. Uh, so maybe this guy was not so full of himself. He's, he's not a up, up there priest guy, right? But of course, he also passed by on the other side. The same problem with his heart. And elsewhere in Matthew 9, we see uh, Jesus quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. It's read a little differently. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We need to, to, to recognize God wants us to be merciful and kind and love our fellow men and not be caught up in all these details uh, that maybe we get out of whack. First things first. Verse 33 kind of turns the corner with the story. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, now, of course, we know this story. Uh, and we all know about the Good Samaritan. That's, that's a phrase, right? We know something good's going to happen now. But that's because of where we are in our culture and in our point in history. You know, we have here in, in Ashland the, the Samaritan Medical Center. And it's named that because of this, this story, right? Lots of hospitals are called that. If you go to YouTube and search Good Samaritan, the, you're not going to find Bible stories first. I tried it. You're going to find you're going to find stories in the news where someone was getting hurt and then someone intervened to help them. And, you know, they were the Good Samaritan. And it's all related to what we're talking about. These positive images in our culture are about the Good Samaritan. They're precisely because Jesus and his story here and how he's affected our culture. But for Jesus' audience that was first hearing this, the Samaritans were considered scum. Those Samaritans, they might, you know, they just split off from the real kingdom back in the days of Rehoboam. You know, Jeroboam. Uh, set up this rogue kingdom in and, and Israel, and, and he set up the golden calves to worship in Dan and Bethel. And, and he had the gall to say, these golden calves are, are the gods who brought you out of Egypt, taking God's honor and putting it to a piece of metal. So they weren't, they didn't have a good start, right? Then uh, things only got worse over time. They were ultimately taken into captivity by Assyria, and the Assyrians sent new people back to the land, different people, as was their policy. They would conquer land, take the people, 
And they would put other people there just to kind of mix things up and infuse their culture. So there were a few poor Israelites that were still living there and they sent these other Assyrians and they intermarried. And so, so now you have uh, even this Jewish line, you know, being inter intermarrying with the nations and all this sort of thing that shouldn't have happened. They, were, they would consider them half-breeds, idolatrous and traitors, traitorous scum, all kinds of nasty things you might uh, use to describe this idea. But if we could try to put ourselves in the same mindset as Jesus' audience, we might replace the, the priest and the Levite with maybe a, a preacher and maybe someone we really admire at church that would we'd, we'd be sure that they would help someone. And we'd be disappointed as we read the story. And then instead of a Samaritan, we would need to pick some sort of villain, not the Good Samaritan Hospital idea, right? But some sort of villain in our culture, like someone in the the Ku Klux Klan or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or a, hearkening back to World War II, the Nazis or something, you know, some, some outright bad guy. Those are bad guys that we wouldn't expect anything but bad behavior from them. We might expect them to, as he comes to the scene, to, to kill and torture this guy. But when the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, didn't pass by on the other side, but he came over to him. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And we read in the next verses that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. We've studied recently about wine. And one of the things that can do is be a disinfectant and help a medicine. And, and olive oil was a common medicine at the time. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. Denarius would be a day's wages. So think about what you make in the course of a day and times two. That's sort of the idea. And he gave that money to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So this, this villain, this Samaritan who would be a villain, he showed great care and generosity to this stranger, this enemy of his, but this neighbor. He provided him health care and transportation and addressed his needs of housing and money and even for his follow-up. More time and care and love this man showed. Not, not, not much of a villain, really. And his behavior sounds more like a neighbor. So what does the law expert say here? As uh, Jesus asked him in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, remember in this in this discourse here, the lawyer had asked, who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible to help? That's the question that this lawyer had been asking. But Jesus shows him that he was asking the wrong question with the wrong motives. Let's not be so focused on getting out of helping our fellow man. Be focused on being a good neighbor 
who generously helps those in need. And of course, verse 37, this lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. That's the one who, who was a neighbor. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, it's, it's notable that this lawyer doesn't say the Samaritan, because, yeah, that may have been too much to actually say that, but the guy in the story who was nice, <laughs> the one who showed him mercy, you know. The answer is obvious and irrefutable. You know, you can't defend those callous Levites, the priest and the, and the Levite who just ignored the guy, just walked by. And the awful Samaritan, he was the one through his selfish acts, actions. He showed him, showed himself to be a neighbor to this poor man that was beat up. You know, we recently studied James, James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. We, we can't just know the right facts and answer the questions correctly. We need to actually be uh, living lives of faith through good deeds. Which, of course, is the application, right? You go and do likewise, is what Jesus said here at the end. How do we go and do likewise? You know, are you a priest or a Levite who should have helped a man specifically that was beat up between Jerusalem or Jericho? Well, of course not. We don't live there, and that's in the past, and it probably is a parable and not even a thing that happened, although Jesus could have been telling a story about a a real situation, it's not really clear. But we encounter people in need. Maybe there's a car accident or a bicycle accident that you encounter. We've all seen that. Do you stop or even call 911? Oh, I hope so. Hopefully we're, we're doing that. You know, what if someone needs groceries? You know, well, we could say, well, there's food stamps for that. They'll take care of it. Well, really, I mean, we, we need to be the light in the world and not push it off to someone else or some government program. You know, these, these lessons are here for us to transform our lives, to love our fellow man. You know, do we blame the victim? Well, that poor guy shouldn't have even been on that road. Why was he walking down that road? By himself? What a, what a fool, right? In that part of town, at that time of night, you know, dressed that way in some situations, do we, do we accuse people of making it their fault? And this, you know, this terrible Samaritan didn't blame the victim. He took his time at personal risk. You know, whatever danger caused this guy to get beat up. Well, this, the Samaritan could get beat up too. And it's not like the beat up guy is going to help him because he's beat up and left for dead. So the risk is still there, but he, he took that risk. Financial cost, social cost, help someone in need. You know, what about me? What about you? What are, do we do? We think about those things. Do we act that way? Everyone's in need of the gospel. Maybe we don't see someone blind by the side of the road, but you know, spiritually, uh, people are in need. Are we living lives that illustrate the good news? in our lives. 
Are we helping others? Are we sharing the good news? Are we attributing blessings in our lives to God? That's how we can let our lights shine. So what are some basic principles we can draw from this? You know, don't be above helping others. We are but unprofitable servants. Love your neighbor as yourself. We shouldn't be so full of ourselves that we, anyone is beneath our help. And we should be generous. The Good Samaritan donated his time, his medicine, his safety, risk to safety, his convenience, his ride, gave him, gave, you know, he's on a donkey or something. And he was probably riding that. And now he's walking and put this guy and he's having to walk now with this guy. We wouldn't need to do that, right? With the car, we're just, we're still in there. <laughs> so that, that's a, it was pretty giving of this man. You know, he, he risked his social position because just it goes both ways with this uh, conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. You know, they both despised each other. Don't expect others to love your neighbor. Perhaps you were put there for such a time as this, as we see the case with Esther. Don't ask what I try to do it. Don't ask what your country could do for you. And I, I didn't, didn't I, I'm not Kennedy here, but <laughs> but try to channel that, right? But don't ask who who you need to help, but ask how you can help and do it. You know, that's the that's the problem with the this lawyer. He's like, well, who, who can I exclude here? You know, we shouldn't be looking for who we can exclude, but who we can include. We need to love our fellow man and not look at who we can leave out of that mathematical equation there. We should love everybody. So as we wrap this up, thinking back to that question that was asked at the beginning by this lawyer, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a good question, right? And the answer is in very broad terms, love God, love people, don't just say, yes, I agree with that, and check mark, you know, you do it and live it. Actually, obey. Je Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not just a feeling, you, your love will lead to obedience. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's a charge for us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, how, how are we doing on our, our charge here? Are we... Uh, making disciples? Are we baptizing them and teaching them? And what about you? Have you obeyed the gospel? You know, Acts 2, 37 through 38, after that really good sermon that Peter gave there, I'm not going to go through all that, but made the point that people realized, oh no, we, we are, we are uh, not right with God. And people ask there, uh, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So today, have your sins been forgiven? Are, are you on track with this? Uh, is there anything we can do to help you? We want to encourage anyone uh, who needs to obey the gospel. Let us help you. Let's do that. Uh, if you need to study some more, well, that's what we're that's what we're here for. If you want the prayers of the church, uh, for whatever reason, we invite you to to heed the invitation as uh, as we stand together and sing the song together. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old old story of Jesus and His love.